Hello and welcome to Saturday Morning Cartoons, the weekly podcast that revisits, reviews, and ridicules some of the world's weirdest animated series. Coming to you from the moon of Ganymede, I'll be your host, Dave Trumbor. Joining me as always, he's a former assassin for the Red Dragon Syndicate, my co-host, Sean Paul Ellis. How's it going, buddy? Uh, David, 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 three, two, one, let's jam. Yeah, a cue, cue them saxophones. We don't, have our, we don't have our soundboard ready for saxophones, do we? That's fine. We have the next best thing with us that is joining us tonight. <laughs> By way of introduction, also <laughs> joining us this week, she's a cryogenically frozen beauty queen who's currently dealing with amnesia. It's Allison Keane. Hello. Welcome to the show. Yay. Welcome back to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. Of course. How's it going, Allison? Welcome back. It's good. I was happy to revisit the series. This is great. Yeah, not just, not just our series here at Saturday Morning Cartoons, but this particular series that we'll be talking about tonight, which is, of course, Cowboy Bebop. Mm-hmm. Was this a listener suggestion or just a really good idea from one of us? This is just a really good idea from that's one I, of us. That's what I thought. I think it's yours. So you take the really yeah. good idea on this time. Oh, no. I, you know, it, it may, I think it was a collaborative effort. So I'm cool sharing, cool sharing the love on this one. Excellent. I mean, I know, I know Allison wanted to watch it again, too, because I subjected her to a poorly dubbed and captioned version that may or may <laughs> not have been a bootleg knockoff possibly years ago and then she kindly got me a, a professional and legally available purchasable version uh but then we we decided to take a take a look and watch some more episodes yeah and one thing that we mentioned um before we started recording is that we all noted that the english dub version which is usually a terrible thing when it comes to um foreign movies yeah. and Anime tv purists. shows yeah. right um is excellent for cowboy bebop and it may actually even be better than the original Japanese voice acting. The English acting is, is absolutely amazing. Um, so yeah, that was definitely a surprise. Yeah, and I know right. Sean definitely had a, a point on that too. He mentioned that beforehand. Yeah, I mean, Stephen Bloom and uh, Bo Billingsley, who do Spike Spiegel and Jet Black, are just phenomenal. And I, I mean, I, I obviously grew up watching... I, I obviously watched the the version that had the the English voice cast in it, and so when I went back and actually watched the original Japanese voice cast, it, there was just something missing. There, it really kind of felt like there was something missing because uh, Spike and Jet had such distinct voices in the English language cast that it, it, they're they're unmistakable, and they they sound so fantastic. And then there was just something that seemed off when I was watching the original Japanese version. So I I agree. Allison, I, I think the I think the English language cast for this is is far superior. Yeah, and that's kind of a rare thing too. But it's just it's just one of many kind of like side points that we'll be talking about in praise of this show as we go on throughout the episode. But before we get too far, <laughs> if, if listeners out there aren't uh, familiar with it, Sean's actually going to walk us through the history of Cowboy Bebop before we get started here. Sure. So Cowboy Bebop is a 1998 anime television series that's produced by Sunrise, featuring a production team that's led by Shinichiro. Watanabe, screenwriter Keiko Nobumoto, character designed by Toshihiro Kawamoto, technical designer Kimitoshi Yamane, and composer Yoko Kano. The series premiered in Japan on TV Tokyo in 1998, broadcasting only 12 episodes and a special due to its controversial adult-themed content. The entire 26 episodes of the series was later broadcast in 1999. In 2001, Cowboy Bebop became the first anime title to be broadcast on Adult Swim in the United States, which is exactly how and when and where I began listening to this show. Yeah, same for me. I mean, it was one of those. Uh, was it was it Toonami? Was it the afternoon, or did they have it on like uh, the late night run, midnight? Yeah, run? it was like the it was, it was the midnight like Adult Swim. Yeah, they probably didn't play this for 
the kids yeah. coming home from elementary school at four o'clock in the <laughs> afternoon. Uh, well, Sean and I watched some dark stuff back in the day. That's correct. But then again, yeah, it was on mostly at night. So, uh, so I guess that's a good segue right into what the show is actually about. So let's dig into it. In uh, the year 2071, roughly 60 years after an accident with a hyperspace gateway made the Earth uninhabitable, humanity has colonized most of the rocky planets and moons of the solar system. Amid a rising crime rate, the Inter-Solar System Police, known as ISSP, set up a legalized contract system in which registered bounty hunters, also referred to as cowboys, chase criminals and bring them in alive in return for a reward. The series' protagonists are bounty hunters working from the spaceship Bebop. The original crew are Spike Spiegel, an exiled former hitman of the criminal Red Dragon Syndicate, and his partner Jet Black, a former ISSP officer. They are later joined by Faye Valentine, an amnesic con artist, which is a hell of a description for her, and Ed Wong, an eccentric girl skilled in hacking, and Ayn, a genetically engineered Pembroke Welsh corgi with human-like intelligence. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious, before we jump in here, I'm curious as to everybody's just kind of favorite character, off the cuff, from like the whole series. Allison, do you have a favorite? What, well, what I like all of them for different reasons, yeah. but honestly, I, Edward White might be my favorite. Okay. Also, because it took me a really long time to figure out that Edward was a girl. Which is Possibly a, the whole series, yeah, actually, until a, the very end. A fun part of the series, too, is like, everybody, as they're watching it, you're just like, what is this character? <laughs> and I'm even going to venture to say, was it actually finalized? Do you really know? Because there, there, there's some doubt that's cast by Ed's father in yeah, and, and an we'll, episode. We'll get to that because that's actually one of the episodes that we chose to talk about tonight. We're, we're actually right. going to divert a little bit from how we normally do things. Each of us picked an episode that we kind of saw as our, our favorite or just one of the best of the series. And each of us in turn are going to kind of like say why we thought it was the best and then just have a brief discussion about it. So that's I don't want to get too much into that now because that's one that we'll have a discussion on in a little bit here. But yeah, so Edward for you. Yeah, just, I mean, I I love them all for different reasons, sure. like I said, but there's something so weird about Ed and her, um, it's just even weird to say, yeah. but, and her relationship with Ayn and brings a sort of comedy and levity to a show that can be really, really dark. And I think that there's just a lot of positivity and happiness that comes from them that yeah. kind of balances everything else out. And um, I don't know, it consistently make me laugh. Yeah, Ayn and Ed both. That and combo maybe is my favorite. Definitely, and everybody has like moments of like levity and, and humor in here, but they they're consistently like the most optimistic, brightest, <laughs> most energy and just, filled, and just weird. Just yeah, saying so like weird. the weirdest things, and then like getting back to hacking, and then like just cartwheeling away. Yeah, and, as you do, you know, whatever. So, yeah. Sean, how about you? Uh, it was definitely Jet Black. Really? Okay. I I really feel that. And that, that's going to be reflected in the, the episode that we ended up watching tonight. I feel like he is such a strong supporting character, and, and far too often he sort of gets overlooked in some of the, the bounty hunting and, and what he's doing. But I, I, love, I love the episodes where it's just him cooking. Yeah. Yes. It, it, it's <laughs> like points. in the intro, too, is one of the best. Yeah. Right. You know, it, it's him cooking and, you know, making a comment. He's just like, it's bell peppers with beef. And then Spike's like, there's no beef in this and he's yeah. like like i said it's bell peppers with beef yeah and like special. he's very he's very firm and i love the idea that he is a former issp officer right. and the the history that he sort of has with that and the episode that i chose kind of brings that to a resolution for him which i think is really powerful i i think that you know and i, I and it it definitely has to do with the fact that he has this robotic arm 
that you don't really talk about until very late in the the the, the season. Right. And he has this metal piece that's under his eye that it's I'm like holding his to say skull that. together, but you never really <laughs> talk about it. But you they 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 discuss the arm, but it's just it it's the whole idea of biomechanics and and sort of uh, the modifications, the body modifications that he's undergone um, to preserve his arm and allow that to function and and the the type of person he is, but. I think he just lives with the this really strict set of morals and he's a good person despite the fact that he is a bounty hunter which is typically looked at as a a negative profession. Right. Yeah, I mean I I'm actually my favorite happens to be Jet Black as well, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. None of us picked like the main arguably the main guy in the series which is Spike Spiegel, who the the largest arc in the entire series from, you know, moment 1 till literally the final moment basically revolves right. around Spike, but He's kind of like the easy guy to say, like, oh, Spike's my favorite. Uh, and just, I've, I've loved Spike. He's an incredible character. But like Allison said, like, all these characters have great strengths and weaknesses. They all complement each other really well. But I've always gravitated towards Jet. And I think it's just because he's kind of that, like, that rock. Um, Bebop is his ship. He's, like, the main guy. He's ostensibly right. the captain. And he's kind of, like, the the more or less father figure, even though at one point I think they say he's only like 36. So he's like our <laughs> age at this point. But Faye is supposed <clears throat> to be like 20 or something like that. So 20, but also because of her. Also like 90. Also like, yeah, 98 yeah. years old or whatever. <laughs> right. <clears throat> and let, let's, be, let's be really serious with Jet Black. He's got some undeniably distinct facial hair. And as a man with facial hair, that's pretty badass. It's pretty badass. I love it's like Wolverine. I, I, yeah. He's, yeah, a, he's like a bald it. Wolverine. It's great. <laughs> <clears throat> Okay, so I just wanted to get that out of the way, just so we knew going forward, because I think we've, among the four of us, and yes, there is one missing in action here among the, uh, the cowboys gathered for this show tonight, um, we will talk about that, that episode first, but I think we've, we've picked great episodes that highlight not only the teamwork, but also the individual characters, um, which wasn't really planned, it just kind of worked out this way. So we'll get to talk about each of the individual characters a little bit more as we go through these episodes. But before we do that, I know I keep teasing you, Sean, buddy, let's talk about this theme song. Let's talk about it. This, this is the challenge for me, okay. is that this week and <clears throat> for the two weeks that follow for this show, for Saturday Morning Cartoons, we are arguably reviewing my favorite two theme songs ever for cartoons. Uh, this does a phenomenal job for Cowboy Bebop in terms of setting tone, mood, sort of the, the energy, the, the certain parts where you have sort of the, the brass that kind of breaks out and has certain solos, it feels like the, the battles and the, the fights that you see Spike participate in are as fluid as those movements. And, and that continues to always impress me. And I'm, I'm also a sucker for brass in any, any theme song. I know we've had it with, uh, with Cowboy Bebop. We've had it with JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Right. And so some of these things, like, I, I, I love to hear that. but. The fact that Yoko Kano, that she put together such an incredible soundtrack and band for the, the seatbelts. Right. Um, the moment this song comes on, I just, I kind of just start moving. Like I get pumped up and it gets stuck in your head. Not to mention this theme song is incredible to listen to. And it does a fantastic job of just setting the stage for what's about to happen. But they could not have a better outro song. I feel like they complement each other so well in terms of book ending every single episode of this that it, it's it's beautiful and they they have very different tones and, and sort of it feels like intention 
in each. Like one is to get you excited about the show and one right. is sort of kind of like a slow release from what you've just watched. And, and it's just beautiful from start to finish. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, just themes. If I'm just focusing on the theme song, it's one of my all-time favorites. I don't know how many times I've said this on the show. Somebody can go back through our 98 episodes and see how many <laughs> times I've said that. But I, I, I want to say I feel really strong that it's less than five times that I've said that. Because <clears throat> like Johnny Quest is probably one of them. This one is definitely one, and Batman is definitely one. Yeah, uh, I don't. I can't think of any others off the top of my head. Those are just, and they all kind of have the similar. They've got some similarities to it. So it's no. Uh, no dialogue, no lyrics. Well, that, very, with the very minimal of a, lyrics. A very, very minimal, exactly, for this one. Because it's that kind of like jazzy, kind of like, they got a little riff going, and then they, you get into it. Um, and I just right. love the, the jazz elements of this. But if we're talking music overall, this is some of my favorite music for a, a show, a project ever, not just a cartoon series. I mean, normally when we talk about cartoon series, we never talk about their music other than the theme song, right? How often do we talk about like, oh, the composer of this or man, this piece really moved uh, this action beat along? Never. The the moments in Bots Master where the music complimented <laughs> the insanity of that show <laughs> made that it's series. It's laser it's time, boys. Oh, oh God. God. Why would you bring that up when we're talking about such good music? But yeah, I, I love it. Like, I you got to go with the highs and lows on this one, Dave. Uh, I guess. Yeah, go ahead. It drives the emotion, too, in so many yeah. and, and not like it, it's mm. not manipulative in any way. But it complements the story that's being told, like at the end of Hard Luck Woman. I don't know what the song is. It sounds like sort of late 90s Brit pop, which is yeah. so unusual. Yeah. And yeah. I'm not sure if they switched it because sometimes when they do the DVDs, they'll they lose the rights, you know, certain things. So I don't know. But it, whatever it is, it works perfectly because right. it's such like this this melancholic song, but you aren't expecting it for a show like this, you know, an animated series to pull out a song that you would n- normally hear in like an hour long drama, right. you know. And it just works so well. And that's true for, I mean, like you said, I mean, every episode, it's different. And they, and Sean, like you point out, sometimes it's to hype you up. Sometimes it's this emotional release. But whatever it is, it's, it's perfect. I mean, I don't think there's another animated series I can think of that does that. No, definitely well. not one that we've talked about. I mean, I'm sure there are others out there. But like, for the, and I just want to keep it in mind, keep the musical cues and stuff in mind as we talk about these episodes. Because I'm just off the top of my head from watching the four that we watched. There are definitely moments where music really comes into play, either if it's atmospheric or if it's like plot elements, mm-hmm. like you mentioned. Yeah, go ahead, Sean. And I think the biggest thing for me is just the consistency. If this was something that you only received the, this, this music from the seatbelts to, to bookend the, each episode, right. it, it would still be fantastic. But the fact that there is music that complements everything and all the actions uh, and, and fight scenes that happen throughout the entire series really just lends to the the credibility of of, of Kano and just the seatbelts and and just it sort of solidifies that and I, I'll be honest like in preparation because I I I was going through my head racking my brain and trying to think to myself what other shows have I watched that have had this element in it what has had that consistency from episode to episode from theme song uh, until the the closing credits song and the only other song or the only other show the only other show that I've been able to find is Batman the Animated Series. Okay. They keep, they keep the score from beginning to end consistent in terms of the tone and the music throughout the entire show. And I know we're getting into it next week. It, it, it's so hard to compare these two in my brain because I've watched so much of them within the last two weeks. Okay. Uh, that it, it, like, there's like a, there's, I keep 
going back and forth on points. I'm like, oh, I like one more because of this. And then I, I go back and I watch another episode of the other show and I'm like, oh, I like this one more. It's, they're just, they're, they're both so phenomenal. It Look, is, I'll be honest, the one for Cowboy Bebop, I, I'd say just now for me, just having watched the episodes, it's not just that the music stays consistent and has a nice tone and then, and then lifts up the emotional beats and stuff. It's that it's actually part of the, sometimes part of the plot and, and always, right. not always, but usually part of the uh, titles as well. So like the first episode we're going to talk about is called Asteroid Blues. Another one is called Black Dog Serenade. A lot of the titles have, you know, there's one like Mushroom Samba. There's one called Sympathy for the Devil, which has this like harmonica playing kid. Uh, there's the music is just like woven into the entire fabric of this show. It's a, it's a really complete system and series. And, and the music of the seatbelt in Yoko Kano is just like throughout. And it's perfect. It's just absolutely perfect. Yeah, right. mentioning the harmonica, though, that is something that's unusual that they employ, I feel like, in a lot of episodes. They give it kind of that folksy sort of Western. Oh, definitely. Feel, With the, the cowboy you know? kind of exactly. aesthetic. Yeah, because yeah. it's, it's basically a space western. Like, if you guys haven't somehow watched this show or at least heard of it, you know, I'd almost compare it to Firefly. It's like an animated Firefly, hmm. in a sense. Okay, I could see some of if that. that if that helps. If, if that helps somebody out there that's never seen this get, like, a grip on, like, <laughs> uh, just a start of what this is kind of like, it's kind of like an animated Firefly. Like if if you're ju- if you just finished Firefly <laughs> you and you're like I want to dip my toe into some anime that's gonna be a little <laughs> bit related, a what's take what's been taking you so long? Seriously, yeah, wow. B immediately jump into this one. Could be a kid, but honestly, like this series has been called a, a gateway series for anime, and honestly, the the very first episode, which we're now going to talk about, is a perfect entryway to get into the rest of this series. I know for right. for Allison, it wasn't like the first anime you ever watched, but knowing that you'd have to get through this first episode to decide if you wanted to watch any more yeah was probably a you know a, a, at least a consideration in the back of your mind so yeah i think that it, it didn't really hook me until the very end um because i spent the whole episode just expecting the trope to be that this woman and this outlaw are a major part of the series right like a first right. episode usually sets up the major characters and right. like there was some humor you know with jet and spike and but then you meet this other duo, and at the end of the episode, they die. And I, that's, Spoiler alert. That's when I was like, wow, this show is something completely different. Yeah. I don't know what to expect from it moving and, forward. And we've talked sort of about the tone, and, and, and I, I want to say this. It feels like there's always been a very noir tone that is consistent throughout this entire episode because you're introduced to some of these characters. And Allison, like you said, at the end, you're surprised because you, you have this investment. You think, oh, they might come back in the next episode, and then yeah. they're dead. And it, it's... Yeah, like in one of the most <laughs> dramatic ways <laughs> possible. Very dramatic, yeah. But the, we should mention that this, so it's uh, episode one. It's called Asteroid Blues, and this is actually Melanie Harker's suggestion for the show. She couldn't be with us tonight, unfortunately, but we decided that we wanted to keep this episode discussion in here, not just because it's a great one from Mel, because it's a great entryway for the rest of the series and it really does set up things it sets up not just expectations but the expectation that you will be surprised by things that happen in future episodes so like allison mentioned the story kind of tracks um our bounty hunters that we meet first off which is jet and spike it's just these two guys right now and they're going after a bounty of basically a drug dealer and this uh his like girlfriend slash wife woman that he's with Right. And that's just the basic setup, and it really does not end the way you expect for a number of reasons. But what's so brilliant is like watching it in the context 
I'm having seen the full series now because this right. is the first time I've gone back through it, is the unity of the vision that they had for the whole show. Right. So it's like there are so many episodes that go in so many different directions and have their own like sort of almost spin-off feel, you know, and they kind of go off and do their own adventures. But when you watch that episode, knowing what is to come and that the relationship between Jet and Spike essentially never changes no. from that episode onward, um, it's just kind of brilliant. Yeah, do you guys want to talk about that relationship? Because it's not, it's not exactly the first thing that we see. The very first thing that we see is sort of a an out-of-time, you-don't-know-where-you-are-or-what's-happening montage, like old-timey, very noir montage of, of Spike, who you haven't even met yet, and a lot of it, weird... Yeah. Well, it, it's really a, a hint of things to come. Yeah, things that have happened, things that will happen, and things that have yet to happen, yeah. Yes, and I, I think, uh, Allison, to your point, just about the vision of this, you, you watch this, and it's, it's very brief, it's very fleeting, and I, I can't remember if they give you more tastes of this throughout the course of the series. But if they don't, this is an amazing callback for the final two episodes to kind of reintroduce you to that setting and that tone and, and just to kind of recap on the journey of Spike. Yeah, and, and they do throughout the series. It's like every five or six episodes. So you get, about, okay. you get about four different chunks of this major arc that he has gone through and continues to go through and will ultimately... Okay end up in uh it's pretty much like every six episodes i think he even gets like a mini sort of like a mini movie there's a couple two-parters in here because it ends with the right. real folk blues part one and two but then there's like jupiter jazz one and two which is mm -hmm. kind of about him and his nemesis uh named vicious who we won't really get to talk about tonight unfortunately maybe we'll slot that for a future time because it's one of my all-time favorite um hero and villain pairings yeah. in all of so good. anime a, what so a great good. rivalry it's amazing uh but yeah, unfortunately, we don't touch on that one in this one tonight, except for that very brief intro, which I love that they have that intro. It's very, it's got like that kind of classical piano, very, very uh, melancholy kind of playing. And then stuff happens. You're like, I don't know what this is. And then bam, it just hits you with that theme song. You're like, what? Just, well, I, like you get yeah. church bells yeah. and then it jumps into the theme song. Right and you're the like, theme song. <laughs> okay. But, okay. So let's look at the episode itself. Um, you mentioned the relationship between Jet and Spike. I, we can kind of talk about that a little bit because, as we mentioned in our synopsis, Spike was basically a former hitman assassin for a criminal syndicate, and Jet was a former police officer, basically, who was supposed to bring these guys down. So you would think these two guys are like the most, like the oddest couple you would ever find. But they've actually, because Jet has come away from the, he's like retired himself from the police force for reasons we find out later. And Spike has also gotten away from more or less the life of uh, crime, <laughs> sort of, uh, at least violent crime. Sort yeah, of. Right. Yeah. Um, they both kind of like found themselves meeting in the middle of this gray area where they're neither cop nor criminal. There's something in between. Right. I mean, did bounty you have any hunt. just... Boy, howdy, they're bounty hunters. Yeah, but they're not great. really friends, but they rely on each other. Yeah, and, and there's this, this like rough... Right. Uh, this friction between them at all times, whether yeah. it's over food or whether it's over space or whether it's over their behavior, but it's also a very like caring relationship. Mm -hmm. Jet definitely looks out for Spike and knows when he's about to do something stupid. He knows that he can't stop him from doing it, but he knows that he should probably be there to pick up the pieces when he's done, which is exactly what happens in this episode. Yeah, they're, right. they're like an, a really old married couple a lot of times. And yeah. some of the sweetest moments are <laughs> when they're eating together. Yeah. And there's a moment, um, not to jump ahead, but in the end of Hard Luck Woman, when they're just like 
downing those hard-boiled eggs in just, silence. Just, just both just like... Of eggs. <laughs> it was kind of a beautiful thing. Like, yeah. I think that sort of, you know, sums up their relationship, is that they would never admit how much they care about one another, but their actions clearly show it throughout the series. And right. also, you know, the fact that Spike's story does bookend the whole show, right. but also Jet is the first other character we meet, and I believe the last of the core group that we end up seeing. Yeah, I, I can't so. remember exactly, right. but I'm pretty I sure. Th- I think that's right. So um, that, again, just kind of shows his importance. It's those uncomfortable, comfortable silences that they share with one another where you can see that they agree upon so much and they're just happy being in each other's presence. They might not agree on every single issue, but they, they don't have to. That's, that's the dynamic of this relationship that they have is that it, there is that friction. Um, but at the end of the day, like we've said, they, they rely on one another and they, they care for each other. Whether or not they say that, right. never, it's just some of those things that are just never actually spoken. Right. I, I want to jump into just a couple things to kind of just give you a sense of this world that we're in. Um, so for this particular bounty, the guys are sent to Tijuana. And when you think Tijuana, <laughs> you think, you know, the, the current location uh, here in North America on the planet Earth. However, this Tijuana, if I watch the episode correctly, is actually like a artificial space station or part of an artificial space station. That's actually like a like a Dyson ring. Or like a uh, a right. ring that is spinning so that it generates its own gravity. Because every time you look at the sky or you look at the the distant landscape behind you, the Earth is sloping upwards. And it's just like exactly. that visual cue is such a weird thing to see in in any series. Yeah, it's touted as a asteroid colony. The Tijuana okay. asteroid colony is what they call it. And they just they're just like oh down in down in TJ, you know they got them good yeah. carnitas. You're just like oh they're going to Tijuana, <laughs> and it's set up like it looks like an old kind of Mexican village, but that's been kind of modernized because there's different languages for the signage everywhere, and you know there's just like people in sombreros and ponchos, and just drinking tequila in the middle of the day, and just like hanging out at bars. The but three then, like, guys they, that are at the bar. Oh, I love those three guys. The to, three amigos. To complain about each other. And they're, they're like running gags throughout the entire series, too. <laughs> like those, these guys, yeah. these old guys keep showing up. So it's like they're setting the stage for all these different things that are going to show up in the rest of the series. But they're also introducing you to a world where this drug dealer isn't just a run-of-the-mill drug dealer. He deals in something called Bloody Eye. And Bloody <laughs> Eye is basically like this crazy stimulant chemical that you, it like mists into your eye. Your eyes go like, crazy bloodshot but you become like uh, a superhero for a limited amount of time you basically turn into like like jason Bourne or somebody that you could like time slows down for you and you can just watch uh, everybody move in slow motion as you like run around them punch them in the face knock them out a window shoot them up whatever it's like it's a great drug for a criminal or <laughs> kids or, it's a great drug kids we've talked about cartoon drugs on this show many times <laughs> bloody eye is one of my favorites Look, if you want to relive Max Payne bullet time yes, exactly. in real life, this is what this is. You want bloody down. eye, but you can get addicted yeah. and then just like eventually go crazy. Uh, and then your girlfriend, who's <laughs> not really pregnant, will kill you in space. Right. That's so we, we this, have this drug dealer named Asimov. Yeah. We have this drug dealer named Asimov and his female companion named Katarina. I believe and so, yeah. It, it's, it's sort of their, their goal to, to sell these. And, and as we've mentioned, there is this heavy bounty hunter aspect of the show. And so there is a a bounty that is put out on Asimov's head. And so this is what leads Spike and Jet to to come to TJ to to try to recover that money. Because as we've mentioned, these cooking scenes that are between them, 
they are shown to be very, very poor in terms of the, say, the, the food that they actually have to cook. Yeah, it's, it's basically just... Or lack meals. thereof. Yeah, it's just filler. Yeah, the it's lack, just a lot of, like, of peppers food. and cabbage. They never, and that's a running thing throughout this, they, like, never have enough money for food. For me, the thing that is so great about Asteroid Blues uh, that Allison had already previously mentioned is that it does a great job of surprising the viewer in terms of what's going to happen. And um, just coupled with the music, this is just, we, we've talked about many times how uh, a, a show should have a good pilot and a good introduction. And this hits all of the beats of, of expanding the world, showing you something very unique uh, and opening up the potential and possibilities that they have through sort of these weird cartels and, and some of this bizarre drug use, but also the fact that we have this, this odd couple that's in space as bounty hunters who care about each other but just don't want to communicate very well. Because they're dudes. Yeah, they're dudes. They're just, they're just hard-living bounty hunting dudes. You know how it dudes. is. Dudes. Yeah. Dude. It's like if me and Sean decide to be like Dog the Bounty Hunter and just like, yeah, care about each other, I'm not going to tell them that. I'm not gonna tell them that on like a live internationally broadcast podcast or anything. I feel I feel like that show would just be you tasing me every once in a while when just I do make sure something it still that's out of line. Yeah, just gotta check the batteries on this you, one. I mean, you don't want to go out there with a, with a busted taser. <laughs> that's the lesson of Asteroid Blues, right? Uh, Allison, anything else from this episode? I think uh, Sean really nailed it. That as far as a first episode goes, it shows how confident the show is in its storytelling, yes. um, and that it's. It gives you enough of a tease to pull you in, but it doesn't reveal too much. It's not just exposition that then they conveniently forget about in episode two, exactly. which so many series do. So, yeah, I think it's an excellent opening yeah, for a I'd, great show. I'd echo both your statements. I love this is a world where you can watch the first episode if you love the world that's being set up and the character dynamics that are being that are on display and you love it and you want to see more. Then guess what? That's exactly what you're going to get through the rest of the series. It's so consistent. it's consistent. Yeah, it's consistent. It's a great. Uh, introduction. Mel made a great suggestion for this this episode. But now we're going to jump ahead quite a bit, you know, more than halfway through the show. Um, yeah. <laughs> and we're going to jump to Sean's suggestion. We're actually just going to go in episode order here, too. So Sean's suggestion comes at uh, episode 16. What do you got for us, buddy? So I was really into Black Dog Serenade, and this was an episode that I wanted to, to recap on. And it sort of explores a little bit more of the past that Jet Black has uh, and so kind of keeping in mind, as I said, sort of these, these body enhancements that he has that are never really discussed, this is your opportunity to find out a little bit more about what's actually happened. And so this is great because you get more of Jet's history, his past, and, and even the series of flashbacks, again, have like a very like 1940s, 1950s noir feel where he's in like a trench coat with a with like fedora. a fedora hat. Yeah. <laughs> with so like a still, big... still the Wolverine facial hair, though. <laughs> he's the, still he's the Wolverine trimmer. facial hair. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Sean, I, I love that you picked this one because like you mentioned at the beginning of the show, Jet is a great character as part of the ensemble, but he doesn't often get more of, uh, he doesn't often get a, a solo episode. No. And this right. Is and so this, one this of spotlights. Yeah. Right, this spotlights uh, Jet and and sort of his process because you know it's it's hinted and it's talked about the fact that he is former ISSP, right? Uh, but you never really understand where that departure occurs, and so this really delves more into the 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 past that he has and also uh, sort of what his future is going to become. This is one of those moments where you really kind of very clearly see a character have a realization about his past, and that allows him to feel confident 
in the choices that he's made in the present. And I think that that, that feels sort of rare. And, and when they wrap this in and when they, they finally give him the reveal, and I, I should probably just say the reveal, uh, that his former partner, uh, I believe it's Fad, right. uh, betrayed him and is the one who shot him that led to the injury where he doesn't have an arm anymore. That, that's a really powerful moment. And when he, he finds this out, uh, the resolution again in this episode very surprising yeah. to find surprise. out. Completely surprising too. to find out, and it's a, and it's a fantastic moment. And before we reveal that moment, you should also mention that it adds kind of like the layer of drama to it. That for his not his entire life, but his life since the time that he basically lost his arm, Jet has been under the impression that he lost it to a fellow named Udai Taksim, who was just right. basically like an assassin, a criminal, a really nasty guy who they were tracking down, he thought he fell into a trap. And he thought it was this guy that actually took the shot that, you know, severed arteries in his arm and just made his arm useless so that he had to get a cybernetic uh, replacement. There's also an interesting layer here where Jet's kind of caught, this arm is kind of caught between two worlds because the technology exists now in, in 2071 in their time that he could actually just get it like completely remade. It'd be fine. It, it would look totally normal. But he's, it's kind of like part of his like code of values. It's part of his old, um, the old guard that he kind of holds onto this arm, <laughs> even if it's busted and broken and not working properly. He holds onto it as like a, a memento of the past. And then to your point, right. Sean, that past is like, it's like tearing off a bandage. A like everything too. is a lie. Yeah, it's amazing. Right. Yeah, it's, it's crazy too because we've, we've talked about sort of the dynamic regarding Jet with the rest of this group. and. This episode was great because it really, I related to this a lot because you really see Jet as sort of the father figure on the bebop. There's this moment where Faye is attempting to take a shower and the, the water's not working properly and Jet's just like, I fixed it. I fixed it. It should work. And she gets in there and as she's he's, like, As he's like not... trimming his bonsai plants, he's like, yeah, doesn't want to be bothered. And so, I, you know, I, I think it, it shows a lot because it shows a lot of patience on his part, you know, and it shows... To me, uh, his, some of his, his in, emotional intelligence and that he's able to just kind of relax and he does all this crazy stuff and they go through all these you know, adventures that he has with Spike. But at the end of the day, he's able to just kind of concentrate and meditate uh, in a way that you, you don't really see any other character. He has these moments where he's able to reflect about what's happening and about what could potentially happen because he's leading a very dangerous lifestyle. Yeah. And so, you know, these moments where he's cooking or where he's taking care of his bonsai or where he's fixing the bebop are just these wonderful kind of fatherly moments that you, you, don't, always, you don't always see. And you don't really get to experience them from any other character. And in also in those final moments with Fad too, um, you know, they have this very warm relationship earlier in the episode. You see them kind of joking around mm -hmm. and kind of razzing each other, and then he finds out this incredible betrayal, and yet, in those final moments, he's almost tender with him, he jokes with him, he gives him a cigarette, you know? He's not just sitting right. there just like, die, you dog, you know? Like, he's just, like you said, very calm and reflective, like, this is my friend, and maybe this is a lie, but he's still, you know, this relationship was still true to some extent. It's a really complicated emotional moment, and that twist in a way is i think one of the things that makes the show so unique and so interesting do you do you want to lead us through what that final reveal is sort of at the end allison of what happens i actually have a question about it yeah, sure. i'm not completely sure, sure. Please. so um we see fad kill um 
Udai. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Bas- basically, Udai has the drop on Jet at this point. They've had a fight. Udai has the drop on him. And Udai, basically at gunpoint, is now doing like this vill- villainous monologue. But instead of just being like, I've waited this long to kill you, he's like, by the way, you should know, I never had a problem with you. <laughs> it was your partner that set you up and, and took your arm. But then, right. as you were saying, so then, Fad. right, so Fad takes him out, and and um, then Jet's like, "Oh, you're actually coming to silence him for good, and all of this." And anyway, so now Fad has the drop on Jet, and you hear the gunshot, and it very easily. And the thing about this show is that very easily Jet could have died in that moment. Yeah, like I completely yeah. believed he could be dead. The way he's sort of laying on the floor, you think he's dead, um, but then you realize that it's Fad who's been shot. Yeah. And Jet like dove for a gun. I think it was probably Udai's gun. It was gun. Udai's gun. Yeah. They kind of just show it mm-hmm. in this really quick kind of cut. Full of blood. Yeah. Um, and then he sort of, then as Fad sort of falls, he's like, his gun falls and opens up and he sees there's one bullet in the chamber. Um, and he said, he's like, just like, you bastard. You knew that I would kill you with your own gun or whatever. But it's, I was curious, like, so it was Fad basically like, there is one bullet in there. Did he know? That that wasn't going to kill Jet, or was it sort of a Russian roulette moment? I think it was a Russian roulette moment. For That's me. I what think I. He was okay. leaving it up to luck because this and this actual final what's... moment, this this final kind of like, um, it was set up earlier in the series, or sorry, earlier in the episode. Because when Fad actually calls Jet and he's like, "Hey, partner, I got one last, you know, let's team up again, do one last thing." They have this oh. moment where Jet shows up. Fad pulls out this like old like six shooter wheel gun <laughs> revolver, which in 2071 is like a, a weird thing for somebody to have. And he does this kind of like quick fancy move where yeah, he, he spins it around in his hand and he drops it back in his holster. Meanwhile, Jet's pulling out a cigarette and he's like, "Oh, you still think you're a real gunslinger with all those fancy moves, huh?" It's like, and then he says something like, "The uh, you cost the department too much." And he's like, "Why? Because of my gun?" He's like, "No, they keep paying your salary." Yeah. So there's just like this cool camaraderie <laughs> between the two of them, but it focuses on. The guy, Fad, who thinks he's very much like a gunslinger, and he might take risks that he doesn't need to, like playing kind of a Russian roulette and using this old wheel gun, and then Jet offering him a cigarette. And they, they pair it, and they parallel that mm-hmm. scene uh, when Jet actually shoots Fad to death. And whether Fad was just tossing that up to luck and just being like, is it, is it going to be me or is it going to be him? Or if he did it purposefully where he was like, I don't want to live this lie anymore, and it, Jet needs to be the one that takes me out, and I want to be done. It's That's kind of left up for yeah. interpretation. That, again, the right. show is so ambiguous on so many points. Oh, yeah, even right up to the end. Including Edward's sexuality. Yeah, exactly. For Gender and sexuality. Yeah. <laughs> Gender, everything. Just and, and being. Do you yeah. remember Ed's moment of levity in this one? Because it sounds super dark, right? It's noir, there's betrayal, there's assassins, there's Jet losing his arm, there's all this history. But then Ed... The bonsai with the water. Yeah, Ed comes in with a great moment of levity well and that was another moment too talking about jet and spike's relationship mm-hmm. um where you know jet basically tells ed like look i might not come back look after my bonsai and right. spike comes in he's like uh why would jet leave because i mean ed is just like flooding the whole room with water and ian's like running around and face screaming because she's trying to take no a shower and yeah. Anyway, so it's she's still in that yellow bathrobe that she's always, <laughs> always in, just about yeah. every episode, paying fan service. And uh, yeah, and um, and, Sp- <laughs> and Spike is just like he's like, why would Jet leave his bonsai to Ed? Yeah. And that is like that trigger where he's like, he knows Jet well enough to know that he cares about these little bonsai that he would not do this unless something was going yeah. really wrong. Um, and and putting Ed in charge of anything is pretty yeah, much stuff idea. going really wrong. Yeah. Um, oh boy! 
So yeah, it was it was, and then it just like bounces away. Like of course, I just flooded all this, and just like, so just get him off. He's like, okay, and just like takes off, you know. So it's, in, it's in a the... great moment of levity there. But yeah, Sean, I want you to get last word on this one because it was your pick. No, just to to the only final thought that I have is that the moment where he hands everything over to Ed and he's doing these cartwheels around the room in the Japanese language version, he's singing some song about pot pie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, randomly, we had our captions like, Yeah. Oh my god. She's just singing or he or she is just like something like bok choy pot pie just like singing crazy songs. Bok choy. Cartwheeling out of the room. Yeah. You can't, I mean, if you love that character, it's very funny. Right. But again, it's that little moment of levity in such a serious scene where it's like, I might not come back. Take care of my bonsai. And it's like, okay. And she's like, bok choy pot pie. It's like an Elmo in the background, yeah. just like jumping and screaming She's like, over she's like Buddy the Elf. Like she doesn't take anything too seriously. <laughs> she's always very fun and uplifting. Yeah. Which is why I don't think she really shows up. She does show up in this next episode. But even Ed's appearance in this next episode cannot lift. <laughs> I apologize. This is probably the darkest and twist, most twisted episode of the entire series. So this of is course, Dave's pick. of course, it's the one that I pick. Of course, it is. This is episode twenty. Yeah, Pierrot Le Fou. And I know that this is a, a fan favorite out there. And I picked this for a number of reasons. One, because it is dark and twisted. Uh, two, it scares Allison out of the room, which I think is hilarious. I literally left the room she for left. half the episode, but I left at the wrong half. She didn't stay gone long enough. I left at the first half, which is not that scary, not and scary. returned for the horror show that oh, is the second oh, half of the episode. Yeah, the most like nightmare-inducing, twisted portion of this whole thing. That was unfortunate. Uh, sorry! Um, but I also picked it because I think it's one of the more, like, the, the standout episode as far as a departure from theme, a departure from what we've seen so far and what we will see in the rest of the series. It's just so much different for this one that it's, to me, it's definitely a standout. It's almost like you watched a little horror movie, a slasher film almost, within this series. Now, they do have another one that I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but it's where they, they have, like, this mysterious entity in the bebop that's making everybody sick and like biting them oh yeah but that actually turns out to be pretty funny because it's like an old an old lunch like sandwich or something that, like spike left in a refrigerator that it's had gone rancid and... it's become sentient and started attacking everybody um that's hilarious <laughs> yeah this piero lefou is not hilarious in any sense um even the ending is very just discordant and sad and disturbing. bittersweet and disturbing so essentially what happens is spike is just off on his own, just playing pool, hustling people at pool, just making that money, making them woolongs. And he's not, he's not out on a bounty hunter you know, run at all. He's not looking for everybody. Jet's back up on the ship. Everybody's on the ship. Everything's going fine. It looks like just this weird little like vignette slice of their life that they happen to have on the Bebop. And then you see, I, I don't know how to describe this guy in a way that makes sense that's not comical, but it's just like a very fat guy with a frilly kind of collar in like a big operatic suit with a cane and a top hat. And it sounds hilarious. He's like the penguin if he was a balloon that you blew up. Yes, like an inflatable penguin from Batman, yeah. basically. Or uh, sort of like a, a big top ringleader crossed with Like a, a circus balloon. barker. Crossed yeah. with a balloon. What? Crossed with a balloon. Because <laughs> a, a murderous a, balloon. A murderous, <laughs> a murderous balloon. balloon. <laughs> yeah. And this, this guy, as you peel layers back on him, like so as to, just to describe that, it's probably like, oh, that doesn't sound scary at all. When this guy shows up, the very first thing you see in this episode is just kind of like his silhouette. You see him looking at a building, and then all of a sudden the camera just like tilts up, 
shoots up the side of the building, flies over it, and then you're looking down at like a cityscape, and you're like, all right, I'm this guy, but I'm just like flying for some reason? I don't really know what's happening. <laughs> what that eventually- your nightmare has you, begun. Yeah, your nightmare just started. Because what'll eventually happen is, he shows up um, to what you find out is a director of the ISSP and all of his bodyguards. So you're talking like the biggest, mil uh, below military, but the biggest police organization with the best weapons and guards people that they have guarding their new director. And this guy has basically gone through the cities uh, just assassinating them left and right. And you don't know why right. until episodes end. You don't really figure out why. What but he is, does it in what like... What is the line that he uses? Hello, gentlemen. I have journeyed uh, here to kill you all. And then he just unloads on these guys. And he shoots from his cane. So we just start shooting from his cane. As he's like toppling around. Yeah, this guy moves like he's just full of helium. Like he just kind of dances around. Like he's Grover Cleveland after a bender. It's <laughs> a perfect way to describe him. <laughs> Grover Cleveland after a bender on a murder spree. And it's just the way he moves, the way he grits his teeth, the way he stares like dead-eyed, unblinking at people. Just like Grover Cleveland. Just like Grover Cleveland. <laughs> just like he's, Grover Cleveland. <laughs> the way he's unstoppable. He's got these like powers where if you shoot at him, uh, he's got a shield. He can just like fly and levitate and move at like just inhuman speeds and motions. And it's just on display throughout the rest of this episode. And I've already spent five minutes talking about how crazy this guy is without talking about any plot. But eventually it comes to a showdown between this guy, Grover Cleveland, and Spike. And Spike literally just got caught in the wrong place at the wrong mm -hmm. time. Like there was, he just walks out of an alley. He sees this assassination take place. Piero LeFou just turns around to him and he's like, hello, boy. And then he just marks him for death, basically. So the rest of the episode uh, is Spike trying not to get killed. But Ooh. the more horrifying twist is the one that comes near the end of the episode when you realize that Piero has actually been um, the victim yeah. of some really terrible experimentation to try to create a perfect assassin. By which... the ISSP. Right, which has caused right. his mind to regress to essentially that of a murderous child. Yeah. Um, and he, like, that all plays into, like, you see the flashbacks, you see all the, like, the horror that he went through, which is its own disturbing. And that's, that's where Ed comes in. Like, her really only scene in this one is, spy, or, uh, sorry, Jet asks her to hack into the ISSP, look for Sector 13, and she hacks in and, like, finds all this video. Yeah, just flails on the computer. And she finds all this video footage and archival footage of this guy named Tongpu, who became this crazy assassin. And right. then yeah, it's got like Akira level like uh, experimentation and oh, yeah. it's just so disturbing. It's messed up. And then what makes it to me the very worst part of like I could maybe get through all of that yeah. and have done sadly twice, which yes. I didn't intend to do um is at the end when you know he's he's basically throwing spike around and, and yeah so so real quick so tong Pu, uh basically invites spike out he's like hello boy i want to throw you a fun party and he invites him to this like disney world-esque theme park at night which is like abandoned yeah the horrifying so creepy a horrifying carnival of nightmares which plays discordant music and, the, the whole time which is amazing it just sets the scene so well and uh he and spike you know have this fight or whatever and and hero is clearly winning and then spike gives just like sort of stabs him not even that terribly in like the leg you so know? so what happens just briefly before that is when we see in these flashbacks we see that uh tongpu has seen this this cat that's like sitting on the shelf watching 
literally watching everything that's happening to him. So all these terrible experiments that are happening to him. The only thing he really sees is these doctors in masks, so he can't really see their face. And then this cat with uh, two differently colored eyes. And then a side note, this is actually a data cat, which is just kind of like Ayn, who's a data dog. So this cat is basically computerized. It's like uh, keeping track of all this information. But Tongpu only sees it as a reminder that like anytime he sees a cat, he freaks out. He shoots a, a, a toy cat. He shoots at a real cat that was in the alley. And then when he sees Spike, Spike has two differently colored eyes for a reason that's told within the, the series. And that causes him a moment of hesitation. Which is when Spike nails him with the knife. Spike wounds him in his leg, his his just giant leg. Like, and it, it's the sort of thing that, like, if this was a normal fight, that would not be, no. you know, you'd pull it out and you'd keep fighting. Yeah. In fact, I think that's what Jet does in um in Black the Rock Serenade. Exactly. But anyway, uh, but because Hero has this like child's mind, he's then like rolling on the ground, crying out, "Mommy, mommy!" and like crying. And While this this parade of like puppets and mascots and like the light parade for disney is just like playing behind it's to like this discordant music horrifying yeah that's um, not even the worst part like even though you know he's this chaotic crazy murderer um just to hear anyone like crying and calling out mommy is just like soul crushingly dark and disturbing but at least he's put out of his misery in the worst way possible <laughs> sean do you remember how he ends up Meeting his maker. Yeah, as he's withering on the floor, crying for his mother, uh, one of the like animatronic robots that's in this parade steps on him, and you have this moment where you kind of like see just the foot come down, and then when it comes back up, there's there's no crying for anybody's parents. Then at that point, it's, no. it's all done. And like at this point, Jet contacts Spike, and he's like, "Spike, we've got in- intel on him." And Spike's just like, "I I, I don't need to hear it." I'm done. I'm all, I'm all done. I'm We're, all done. done. We're all done. The thing that, Allison, I know that that's what creeped you out the most, but they continued to do these tight close-up shots of, uh, of his mouth, of, oh God, of, of his mouth, and he just has these, he has a very pointy incisors, mm-hmm. and there was like this like grinding of the teeth that he continued to do as he was smiling yeah creepy smile like a mat like just like turned up joker-esque smile as he's shooting people and enjoying and loving every moment of it but then he's just he's grinding his teeth and i i don't know what it is but that that teeth grind uh, that that made me cringe that was nails on a chalkboard for me that the unblinking giant red eyes the super like hyper realistic close-ups on his face i understand why everybody's a little like squirmy after this episode but and then the final moments are just like the most heartbreaking because it's that it's that discordant kind of like the parade is coming to an end the the screen kind of irises out and it ends on like a, a discordant note that never resolves either into a harmony or en- into anything it just like leaves that note hanging and it's just like ah right in your spine and this is when i i'm so glad sean that like you mentioned the outro music is there to like bring me home and make me feel better again (laughs) just take a deep breath and just release yeah so i I guess that's not your favorites guys it's weird how that i i enjoyed i really enjoyed the episode i made the mistake though of watching it right before i went to bed one night and And sean has not slept since no 
I, I, I watched that Monday night. He's grinning, grinding his teeth oh, God. for the last 48 it's hours. Now a, it's now a Wednesday, and that was four weeks ago. Yes. <laughs> I'm doing real well right now, guys. We're taking Sean over to the a health center after this. Please help me. So after I brought the entire show down, uh, Allison, would you like to introduce us to your episode tonight? Yeah, so I find it interesting that, um, I guess you could even say three of the four that we chose talk about the backstories of the characters and for me um in hard luck woman which is the 24th episode and the last episode before the two-part finale um we finally get a lot more information about Faye. we got some of her backstory in uh my funny valentine which i think happens right before Mm -hmm. black dog serenade as far as finally figuring out her origins, which she had been searching for, that she was has been cryogenically frozen for 54 years, so she's still 20 years old, but all of her friends, people that she knew, her memory is essentially erased, and she has these flashes, but all the people that she knew are either dead or very, very old at this right. point. And she's not exactly sure still where she comes from. So Hard Luck Woman reunites Faye with the literal places that she's sort of been dreaming of and having these snippets about but it also is a story about Ed finding her father, who, yep. which I love when Spike's like, you have a father? <laughs> yeah, because they like look at Ed as like this weird like alien creature. Yeah, that, like she just sprung fully yeah, formed from the ground. She just grew somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, you know, when Faye is trying to figure out where it is that she came from, Edward comes in as like, Edward knows. And follow me. So they go and, and find it. And, um, <laughs> yeah, because they head, they head back to Earth, basically. Right. They head, which is at this point, 2071 is like a complete disaster area. There's still some people there, but it's a complete disaster. It's basically like Wally. Yeah. <laughs> at that point, yeah. it's just like a, this garbage pile um, of like charred ruins. And so Ed goes back and turns and out. An orphanage. And, and an, an orphanage. And one orphanage, yeah. So Ed goes back with <laughs> Faye and finds they meet all these creepy little kids and uh, this nun who's like, Edward and it's like oh Edward was like a stray cat that just wandered in here a couple years ago and then left and you know hope she was okay and here she is and anyway so the nun gives Edward this um little picture of her father and is like he came looking for you and we also get glimpses of the father he's um sort of this kook who this huge like really really massive guy that follows uh meteors crashing to earth so that he can map the earth and his um um way of explaining this is that he's creating order out of the chaos after the destruction basically of the yeah planet. it's like him and his assistant are just racing around this like range rover kind of like tank yeah. thing just every time a meteor falls and impacts a new crater they put this machine in the ground it maps the new area so it just shows a larger crater <laughs> or a crater where there was none before and right they, they kind of look at him like you guys are insane like these things fall like every two days there's no way you can keep up with it and it's just like this weird side story yeah. yeah and it also shows sort of his chaotic life and yeah. how edward sort of got lost and all of that but um anyway so th- it's this really emotional journey for Faye, who you know is finding all of these places that she used to know these people she used to know and um first we get a resolution for edward where she decides that she wants to her father basically invites her to go with him and then suddenly a meteor drops and he's just like gone and she's yeah. like other person is gone yeah and it's a little sad but then she sort of decides like you know what i'm gonna go find him anyway um so she takes off ein follows in this beautiful moment where ein you know she tells him she's like i'm gonna be gone you need to go back to the ship all framed in silhouette so there's like a beautiful like sunset behind him it's just a silhouette and the silhouette of the rocks that are next yeah and so it's like it's visually the closing of their chapter because this is the last time that we see them in the story and um ein decides to go with edward they leave 
later Spike and Jet after they've been consuming their, All their eggs. eggs. That Edward's Courtesy dad, yeah, <laughs> loves eggs. They, they, they provide see, power. Yeah. They see Edward go and they see, um, or actually they don't see her go, but they see the sign that she left. It's yeah. like, bye-bye, and has a giant crazy smile. <laughs> um, On their like launch pad <laughs> of the Bebop ship. But as sort of as sweet as that is, then we also see Faye taking off again and finding her old home. She remembers where it is. She's running up to the steps just like she's a little girl again. And when she reaches it, she looks out and it's just a wasteland. And it's just devastating. You can see like the, yeah. the tracing of the foundation of her family home. It's completely gone. She at one point uh, meets a friend that she actually had when she was in high school, who's yeah. now like this 90-year-old woman in a wheelchair with a granddaughter. She so thinks she, Faye is a ghost. She thinks Faye is a ghost. Faye actually tells the granddaughter that she is a ghost <laughs> and then just runs away because she doesn't... She essentially is she at, basically that, is. at that point in time. She hasn't changed since, since this accident. And we do get to see the accident. I guess they're on like a, a space shuttle and I, I guess they're leaving the Earth for either a gate to take them to another planet or to go to a different colony. I don't know if that's ever really explained. No, yeah. But basically there's an accident. The shuttle has an explosion. The, uh, the glass kind of cracks. I guess everybody on board the shuttle dies except for Faye, and she's put into cryogenic preservation. And then you learn over the course of the series that the reason she has like this multi-trillion-dollar debt is because she they had never paid for her to go into cryopres. They were just like, well, when we wake you up, when we can cure you and bring you back to life, then you can pay us. It just happened to like accrue a ton of money, which is why she becomes a bounty hunter and right and gambler and thief. Right. But but the main thing like of her leaving that older woman behind was basically like she came there looking for answers yeah she saw a woman that she used to know but basically had no uh no common interaction with for the last 60 years so Mm -hmm. it was like well what am i what am i looking for and that's yeah and i the reason why i really like the episode is because we get so much backstory for Faye, who i think is a really interesting character and also for edward like unexpected backstory and then the fact that edward who is so kind of silly and chaotic and everything shares such a sweet moment with Ayn and I just love that pair so much and they kind of go off and do their own thing like you don't know if she's going to find her father or not but she'll be okay like you just know that and with Faye like it's a much darker conclusion because she's just basically laying down in the rubble of her house and I actually had for some reason thought that was the last we saw of her but Dave said that she does appear again in um, the real folk blues um so yeah Sean I I think that I know that you said that Faye has like a very kind of climax to her story to to understanding you know where she's from and i'm actually gonna say that it was devastating for me to watch ed oh really and see what happened to Mm. ed because you know you you have this moment where you realize all of these these events that have led ed to the point where he or she is right now and is finally reunited with her her blood like with her father and in that moment, you realize that she is not a priority right. to oh, yeah, her father yeah. in any way, shape, or form. And by, the f- by virtue of the fact that a meteorite lands a couple hundred feet from, from where they are, and they immediately rush, and the father just leaves her. Him. Well, and even, even the fact that Ed originally was at the orphanage has come and gone over the years, but basically right. they say that like, her dad says, oh, I forgot that I dropped you off at a daycare seven years ago and just kind of slipped my mind. It's like, this guy's And also, he's like, he, what does he call her? Um, Francois. He's like, Francois. And then Francois. later he's like, he's like, oh, I'm so happy to be reunited with my son or uh, daughter. Kind of aside. And yeah, I, it's like, still... I could completely understand that he would like name his daughter Edward thinking it was a boy and just like not caring enough. 
to think, like right. Ed gave her himself that name, this though, at some point. I, oh, maybe. Yeah. I loved recapping on this episode, and I think that this was such a great suggestion, Allison, because of a couple things. This episode really hits hit for me out of the ones that we watched at the sense of longing that these characters have, yeah. the sense of a better life, and 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 ultimately sort of finding where your place is and where you belong. And it just so happens that, again, in this very noir style that we, we've talked about, in these very surprising moments where you, you want something good to happen to somebody, you just want one good thing to happen to one person in this show, Faye is back in a, in a location where it doesn't exist. Yeah. And Ed is at a point where he realizes that he or she's not a priority. And, it is, and they're still moving forward. And I think that that sort of has that, shows the strength of, of maybe how they portray the human condition, that like there are things that are going to be really terrible and things that are going to be really tragic, but picking yourself up and moving on and carrying on with, with what you want or, or what you find to be important is, is how people live their lives. And they, they never let go of that in this show. And I think that that's what makes this episode so particularly beautiful. And it's, it's a great example of, I think, how the series is overall as well, because the, the whole 26 episodes, there's laughs, there's loss, there's, there's romantic relationships, there's friendships that, that grow and, and, you know, disappear. But the whole thing, it doesn't end with just, like, all four of them riding off into the sunset looking for that, that big bounty that they can retire on, like... Like, Ooh. high-fiving each other, yeah. and they're just like, friends no. for life! I mean, just I'm so. kind of glad it doesn't. But they, they take yeah. from all the relationships what they need. I don't mean that in like a cynical way, right. but you know, the fact that I did, Sean, I would say I do think it's positive that Edward at least has Ayn and like their yes. connection as they leave to me is, makes it a positive note. But um, and the fact that like Faye realizes not necessarily in this episode, but um, moving into, I guess, the next episode is that that life is gone right. and she needs that Motley crew on the bebop. You know, that's right. her, that's kind of her home. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I think that it's really powerful because it's not like again they rely on each other, but they aren't. They wouldn't have necessarily chosen this, right. but it just kind of you know is how it is, and they they deal with it. But what's what's interesting, I think, to me watching this entire series again is that everybody that entire group kind of needs each other. So like you were you were mentioning, Allison, the strengths of some fill in the weaknesses of others, and they all kind of like get along together. But then just as soon as they kind of figure all that out is when it all starts to kind of go apart again. So Ed and Ayn go off on their own adventures, maybe to be reunited with them sometime, but probably not anytime soon. Faye kind of wants to do her own thing, which may or may not keep her with the Bebop. Spike definitely has his own ending that you need to watch the final two episodes to find out. And then Jet is kind of, he's always going to be with the Bebop, but he doesn't know if the Bebop crew is always going to be there with him. So. It's an amazing series to watch in totality. Uh, I think the few episodes we suggested are great ones to just sit and watch and not have to worry about any like big spoilers or anything. They're just great little vignettes of each of these individual characters, but also give you a great sense of the series overall. So I'm impressed. I think you guys did a great job with these suggestions. I know I did. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> listeners out there, let us know if, if these are some of your favorites or if they ring a bell and you want to go back and, and check them out again. Um, please let us know in the comments. Uh, anything mm. else from anything else from these episodes, guys, or this series that you'd like to say before we wrap it mm. up tonight? Let's dip into let's dip into this recommendation, which <laughs> I'm going to say we're all unanimously going to say don't watch this show. Yeah, that was a terrible show. Terrible show. <laughs> we just spent an hour glowing praise about. <laughs> I'm still smiling about the worst, most twisted, darkest episode ever. 
<laughs> I assume that if you listen to this podcast, then you're probably already a fan of animated series. Maybe, maybe. I, I'm not a huge fan yeah. of animated series. And so this was recommended to me, and I watched a few episodes way a long time ago and, and didn't continue with it. But um, then, you know, when Dave brought it back up and said, you need to finish watching, it's really great. I was yeah. really happy I did because it really was a great experience from start to finish. And going back through some of these episodes now and seeing how it connects and how that story unfolds is, I mean, it, it, it's a classic. Yeah, it's it really, really is. fantastic. And I'm glad they were only like 26 episodes and done. And I, I don't really even consider that movie part of it. It's an okay watch, but yeah. Yeah, Besides I agree. I, I, I've watched the movie, but I was like, this is fine. Thank you. I'm going to just keep with the 26 episodes that are here, which are perfect. Exactly. We'll just, we'll just keep yeah. with that. So that's going to do it for our episode of Cowboy Bebop. And now's the time where we're going to turn over uh, for our guest to let you know what she has coming up in the next couple of weeks if you can uh, find her out there in the real world. So, Allison, what's, uh, what's going on? Where can the folks find you? So for my day job, I am the TV editor at Collider.com. So you can find me there. We do reviews, recaps, news, lists, features, editorials, everything you could possibly want about TV, movies, and more. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Keen TV. That's K E E N E TV. Excellent. Sean, buddy, what do you have going on in the next couple of weeks? Uh, boy, howdy. We have a bunch of shows that are coming up at Washington Improv Theater. I will be performing improv with Knox. That's N O X exclamation point. You can find out all information and more at witdc.org. And as always, I'm on Instagrams and Twitters at Sean Paul Ellis. Wonderful, buddy. Dave, what do you got going on, buddy? Oh, the same old you stuff. You got things. You, know. you got things. You know. Nah, I'm over at Collider as well. You can uh, check me out over there just doing the normal news, TV stuff, movie stuff. Everything that's good. Be uh, recapping the Arrow for the next couple of weeks here as they wrap up their very strange fourth season. Um, you can also find me on Nerdist, where I do freelance writing for their science section. And if you're interested in reading some of my short fiction, you can head on over to davetrumbor.com. If you're interested in finding out more about Saturday Morning Cartoons, you can do so at our website, saturdaymorningcartoons.com. Remember, that's morning with a U. Also check out Sean's handiwork on our Tumblr page, saturdaymorningcartoons.tumblr.com. You guys have been amazing on our Facebook page, so let's keep that going. I think we're, cl we're close to like 2,000. We were only at 1,500 a few days ago. That's awesome. You guys have gone nuts. Yeah, you guys, you guys are nuts. You guys are so, it. so crazy. You guys, are, you guys are so nuts. <laughs> Bev, Bev, big head in the house. Oh, hello, David. There How she are is you again. Doing? She keeps popping up. Ooh. Can't keep a good frog down, I guess. So, yeah, check us out on our Facebook page. We've also got our YouTube account. And you can listen to this podcast each and every week through iTunes and Stitcher. If you have any suggestions, want to tell us how right or wrong we were about our uh, Cowboy Bebop selections, send us an email Saturday morning cartoons at gmail.com. Guess what, guys? That was episode 98. You know what's after 98? We're done with the podcast, right? Yeah, that's right. We're we, retiring. We're, we're, just we're going to retire on our podcast money and live on a giant gold mountain. Close this out. It's going to be amazing. Retire, retire down to Podcast Island? Yeah. <laughs> be, done, be, be done with, with, with everybody else. <laughs> All the former podcasters of yesteryear. Wherever Cleveland's there, <laughs> uh, it's going to be a good time. Now we've got a two-part episode for episodes 99 and one freaking hundred oh, coming up, man. which is crazy to me. And we're talking about arguably the best animated series of all time. Now, I know that that's, that's strong words coming after what we just had for Cowboy Bebop, but what do you think, bud? Guys, no, I mean, this, and I, I mentioned this earlier, you know, watching, I've watched a lot of Batman, the animated series, and I've watched a lot of Cowboy Bebop in the last uh, couple days. And so this, this show, it just, it hits this nostalgic chord with me 
that just is fantastic. And from start to finish, there are some, there are just some interesting moments that as you're watching this, I just, I love it. So I'm, I've been so happy to get back into this show and, and, and go through this and just the theme song and everything is fantastic. I, I'm going to have, this is going to be for anybody who's just starting to listen to the show. Uh, <laughs> if you're beginning with Cowboy Bebop and you're doing Batman, the animated series Welcome. part one and two, these are just going to be glowing reviews. <laughs> this is just going to be me and Dave gushing for the next three weeks. Yeah. We do also watch terrible cartoons here, by the way. We actually started watching. Uh, we'll get terrible back. Cartoons. Don't worry. We'll get back into them starting like episode one oh. Guys, we've we earned this. We've earned the right to actually enjoy what we watch for a week. Right. And this one actually is great because we folded in um, a bunch of previous listeners who have come in and they've also just given us their kind of like suggestions. We've got clips from these guys. They're they're enthusiastic. Um, they're going to give you kind of a different set of opinions from just Sean and myself. We just physically couldn't get everybody in our studio to record at the same time so we just kind of like we have a bunch of of guests from previous shows on so it'll be cool we'll hear a lot of different voices um and hopefully you can just join us in the enthusiasm because it's batman the animated series i mean how great is that and soon coming out will be uh the killing joke which is going to reunite mark hamill as the joker kevin conroy as batman it's going to be like an r-rated version movie version of this same series again just from one of the best stories to ever come out of the comic. So I'm super excited for all things Batman animated. Check out Saturday Morning Cartoons next week when we do when we start our two-part Batman the Animated Series episode. Until then, thank you guys for listening. We will see you next time.